BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. This weekend, the San Francisco-based American Indian Film Festival opens for edition number 46. Founded in 1975 amidst the major indigenous activism in the Bay Area and beyond, The festival and the film institute that puts it on are still a crucial outlet for Native American creators. Every survey of Hollywood film and television productions has found that indigenous people appear in just a fraction of 1% of roles and are essentially absent from behind-the-camera jobs. We'll talk with the film festival's director and three of the filmmakers whose work will be featured. That's coming up next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This year's American Indian Film Festival kicks off Friday with more than 100 films at a time when filmmakers and audiences are clamoring for more representation of Native communities. There have been some breakthroughs, like the FX show Reservation Dogs, uh, which was made by a nearly all-Native cast and crew. But Indigenous filmmakers in the United States have struggled to get commercial funding and distribution so that they can reach mainstream success. Today... We'll be joined by three Native American filmmakers who are showing work at the film festival. But first, we want to welcome Maitia Savala, the executive director of the American Indian Film Institute, to the show. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Yeah. Maitia, your father founded this festival 46 years ago and was involved with it until 2018 when he passed. What do you think the institute and festival have accomplished? Wow. Well... You know, he started it in his uh, early 20s in uh, while he was a student at UW. And, um, you know, he was a very um, boisterous person, very, you know, he's been, um, you know, categorized as a visionary person um, because of, you know, his drive. Um, there was a lot going on in the 70s, you know, you had, you know, AIM, you had um, the, the occupation of Alcatraz. And so, you know, he had that fire in him. He had that need to kind of do something on his own. Mm-hmm. He created, as a student, he created the film festival um, um, with uh, some students at UW, um, never realizing what an impact this was going to make and Mm. you know and how long it was going to carry on you know um he was uh your whole life yeah yes yes and so you know this it's um 
it, it was a great achievement for him. Um, and, um, you know, uh, he did it for 42 years um, up until 2017, um, where he was still on stage, you know, at the 40, 42nd Annual American Indian Film Festival at the Brava Theater in San Francisco, still, you know, hosting, emceeing, you know, doing what he loved. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he, he created an impact, you know, he, he created a ripple effect, you know, and, and, and got this thing moving along and, um, and I'm so grateful for him. We actually have a, a short clip uh, of an interview that Michael Smith did in 2016 for the television program Native Voice. We put together a conference in 1977 sponsored by the San Francisco Indian Center. And with that conference, we put together the second American Indian Film Festival. And we booked the Palace of Fine Arts to show that, the films, and had this conference and you know, during that time, there's a lot of young Native people that were really uh, on the verge of really wanting to say something through media. You know, you mentioned that, just the incredible burst of uh, Indigenous activism in the 1970s, you know, obviously continuing to today. But do you see a difference or do you see mostly like sort of continuity between that 1970s uh, Native American activism and kind of this this new burst that we've seen, you know, around uh, water protection and, and other kinds of uh, activism. Well, it's a whole new generation of activists, you know, um, but, you know, we learn from our ancestors. We learn from our aunties and uncles, our grand, our grandmas and grandpas, our parents, you know, we, we got that, we got that spark, we got that fire from them. And so, you know, some of us that have been, you know, you know, fighting for a cause, you know, has, has been rooted from, from them and, 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 you know, and our aunties and uncles that have been fighting, you know, and learned all of that from their grand grandparents and so on. And so, but um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's uh, wonderful to see, you know, all of these organizations and causes that have, you know, are, are, are taking that leap and that stand and really fighting for change and really being on the forefront of, of, um, of, and, and, you know, doing what's right and, and leading us, um, and leading, you know, our people to, uh, respond and, and speak up and take action. Yeah. So tell us about the film festival this year. What do you think is kind of new or, or different, something you haven't seen from sort of the past editions? Oh, well, <clears throat> yeah, I've been involved in the fest for with the festival for for quite a long time. And, you know, I've seen every year there's there's there's, you know, new new talent, you know, new 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 filmmakers that have something in, you know, a story to tell. And, you know, it's it's um, there's there is so much emotion in this year's festival. I, I can't tell you I, I watched uh, um, we had 160 entries. We have 126 films, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of emotion that mm-hmm. <clears throat> that came out just watching these films and and um, <clears throat> with the you know three included today, you know the um, ones you're gonna uh, filmmakers you're gonna speak to, but um, you know like over the over the decades, you know we've seen you know, productions and, and native programs and um, um, films and series, you know, grow. Um, 
um, just with, um, you know, native representation, you know, before, like we've been around since the mid seventies, you know, back in the Will Sampson, Chief Dan George, um, um, Buffy St. Marie, um, you know, Pius Savage era, you know, um, and, you know, and, you know, the, the productions, you know, were maybe a, one or two natives, but, you know, now today you have productions that are just full, you know, full of, uh, you know, full native run um, productions. And so that really makes a difference in, in storytelling and also the humor and the relatability. And so you'll see, you, you definitely see that in the films this year. Yeah. You know, um, we know that COVID had a really, really disproportionate impact uh, on Native communities across the country. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if you, is is it too early for that to be reflected in these films? Or is it kind of, even if maybe people aren't making films about the pandemic, maybe it's coming out in other ways? Yeah, you know. You know, we actually have a program um, about the effects of the pandemic. Um, and I think there's about three or four films in there. And, um, but, um, you know, everybody just has to adjust, you know, um, even with the pandemic, we had so you know many films that were entered and it was just, you know, it, people had to adapt. We all had to adapt. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, that was the effects of the pandemic, you know, there was so much, you know, different creativity that was, you know, born, um, you know, people had to kind of rethink things in new ways and shoot differently and, you know, um, communicate differently. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable what, what was uh, produced this year. Yeah. We're talking about the American Indian Film Festival and representation of Native Americans on film with Maitia Zavala executive director of the American Indian Film Institute. And we do want to hear from you. If you're a Native person, have a Native ancestry, you know, what stories have you still not seen on the big screen or the, the small screen? And maybe which Native American uh, productions have kind of changed the way that you see uh, Indigenous stories and, and cultures, even if you don't have a Native background? You can give us a call. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your thoughts to forum at kqed.org. Maitia, the film festival is all online this year for, you know, COVID reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, where, Where can people watch? Like, how can they watch and how can they support what you're doing? Yeah, so you can visit our website, um, AIFISF.com, acronyms for American Indian Film Institute, San Francisco. And uh, we have these (laughs) on our landing page, we have these very large buttons that you can't miss that will take you to our um, event of uh, platform. And so you can scroll through the entire festival catalog. Um, Everything is grouped in um, 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 short programs, um, different categories of subjects. And so if you're, you know, wanting to kind of um, dive into documentaries, there are you know, it's it's right there. Uh, mm-hmm. Comedy, drama, thriller. <laughs> if you want to see, if you want to get, you know, um, uh, get the, um, you know, yeah. kind of be spooked. You know, that's a good one to watch. So, yeah. you know, so many. You know, one of the things that we were noting was just it seemed like there were a lot of very strong Canadian works. Is that largely due to just kind of the way that the funding structures uh, up there work relative to more commercial productions here in the U.S.? 
Yeah, you know, I believe so. But, you know, that would be a, a question for, for Trevor. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we will. We'll, we will definitely talk about that. <laughs> I just wondered if it was something that you'd seen through time that, you know, places that are able to have more um, sort of government or non-commercial funding are able to sort of bring, you know, uh, resources to bear on, on these particular types of stories. Yeah, we we find that, you know, there is so much support up in, in Canada. You got the um, National Film Board, you have um, Big Soul, Indigenous Screen Office, you know, and countless others that um, I can't um, come to mind right now. But, you know, there's so much support up there. And, um, you know, and that's that is, uh, you know, why we get a lot of um, um, um productions in our our um, sure. festival and so and we have been it's been as they've been we've had first uh first nation um films in our festival since the, since we've started you know since the mid 70s mm-hmm. uh Maitia, not including the three films we're going to talk about today um what's one thing that people should go to your uh website during the film festival and that they should really check out that you think is just really special work Oh, man, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. Sorry, I you mean, know? choose amongst your children. That's really what I'm asking here. Oh, man. Well, you know, if you're looking if you're looking for family, family friendly, we have a family fam- friendly section. There's animated, you know, the an- animation is 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 incredible. It's it's not your typical, you know, what you would find um, um for your kids, it's, it's very poetic, deep, um, just, you know, just um, uh, breathtaking. Um, you know, we have um, um, films about uh, <clears throat> um, boarding schools, you know, the return of the return of children, which is, um, you know, which was a huge, huge uh, subject this year, um, you know, missing and murdered indigenous sure. women, you know, um, um, uh, films on the, the effects of the pandemic, just, just literally anything and everything you can just scroll through and take the afternoon and just look read the synopsis most of them have trailers and so you can kind of get a sense and then just go for it you have nine days november 5th to the 13th great thank you so much we are talking about america the american indian film festival and representation of native americans on film we've been joined by maitia zavala executive director and we're going to be joined by three filmmakers after the break i'm alexis madrigal stay tuned Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the American Indian Film Festival and representation of indigenous people uh, in film and television. We were joined before the break by Maitya Zavala, the executive director of the American Indian Film Institute. 
And now we're going to talk with three filmmakers, going to kind of just work through each of their films, and then we'll uh, pull it all together to talk about um, Native American representation. Uh, up first, we have Jennifer Varencheck. She's a screenwriter, an actor, and a director. Her film, In Our Own Hands, is nominated for Best Live Short in this year's festival. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Hello. Hi. It's so great to be here. Yeah. So we thanks for joining us. Um, the short film opens with a scene that's, that's pretty intense. There's some women sitting around a table. Uh, seems like they're just kind of chit-chatting. Somebody's working on some crafts. Uh, let's hear a little cut of it. Max, you know we don't have to do this tonight. We're running out of time. Right. Should we wake Molly up then? No, she got right off the red eye and has been putting up fires all day. Honestly, I don't think she's going to be down with this anyway. My dad got most of your lists already. Good list, he says, by the way. So, tell us what's happening when this scene kind of turns from this domestic scene into something else. Well, the um, woman who says that they're running out of time, her daughter has gone missing. And she has... um, recruited and talked to her um, family members about, you know, taking things into their own hands. They have an idea. They heard a rumor about where um, some of the missing women might be held and they're going to go check it out themselves. And um, it's very intense as far as, you know, knowing that, um, and in my own personal experience, knowing that a lot of times when Indigenous women go missing, it's kind of just written off and police will say things like don't worry about it I'm sure she'll be back she's just off partying or with a boyfriend things like that and um, these women know that that's not the case and so that's why they need to take things into their own hands and um, and go check it out and um, see what they can find and if they can find their missing relative was that moment, that transition moment from, you know, uh, like a coffee clatch into, you know, a bag of guns dunk on the table? Was that moment the one that first came to you when you were conceptualizing this film? Um, I would have to say, yeah, pretty much. Um, I came up with the idea because a friend of mine went missing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had always heard about MMIW, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. And of course, I knew people that were affected by it. But when it happened to me and it came to my front door mm. and I heard that, you know, the things that the police just dismissed it and um, all of us, um, her friends, we, you know, we're texting, we're calling. What are we going to do? Are we flying out there? Are we caravanning? Um, all of that. And just having so much anger and frustration for a problem that doesn't need to be a problem it's very simple um, to get people to start to care about um, missing and murdered indigenous women Um, that's what led to this because I was so angry and I don't want to keep that anger inside of me I have to get it out and so I you know what would I like to do well this is what I would like to do and Mm -hmm. so um, I, I wrote it yeah yeah, you lead the film actually with some really some of the horrifying statistics about missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, I I wondered about the role. You know, we we obviously in 
all of American society, we have been thinking a lot about the role of police, the role of police in public safety, what policing is. Um, this is obviously a very special and specific kind of policing and situation, though, right, in which sort of the racial dynamics are not the same. So how how would you describe that relationship, or at least the relationship of these characters, um, to the police in the film? Well, in the film, um, it does take place uh, on a reservation, and so there are tribal police, but a lot of times um, with uh, Native American reservations, the tribal police are not, um, they're not as many officers as needed for the land that they are taking mm-hmm. care of. Um, for instance, on, on my reservation, on Tonatham Reservation in Arizona, um, my car bro- got broken into once and, um, and we were able to chase the perpetrator off, but it took um, over 45 minutes for the officer to come and you know do his investigating. And that's because of the distance. So a lot of times um, that can be a factor. It's there just not enough officers for the amount of physical geography that they need to to cover. So that's always been an issue. Yeah. You know, how do you think about this kind of righteous violence? Like in my heart, I, I think I'm personally a pacifist, but this film really challenges you to think about what you do if you really had no other options and one of your loved ones had been taken? Um, you know, that is, I know that that is a, a big issue and some people have uh, mentioned that to me, but I think when your back is up against the wall, you, and I, and again, this is a, it's a movie. It's not meant to be, you know, it is meant for entertainment and for thought provoking, but it, um, you know, if something happened to a family member of mine, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where I would find <laughs> a bag mm-hmm. full of guns, but I know that I would do everything within my power and pops possibly, you know, break some laws if I had to. If I had an idea of where my relative was and I would want to try and find them. And if you're not getting any help, I think that's really the fuel right there is if you're not getting any help, what else are you going to do? We're talking about the American Indian Film Festival and representation of Native Americans on film, talking through some wonderful films. We're um, talking with the screenwriter, actor and director Jennifer Varencheck right now. What Native American shows or movies have kind of changed the way that you saw Native American life, whether you're a member of a tribe uh, or not. And we're also curious if you are a member of a tribe, have indigenous ancestry, what Native stories have you not seen um, on the big or the little screen? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your thoughts to forum at kqed.org. Next, I wanted to welcome Trevor Mack to our show. Uh, Trevor is a filmmaker, writer, photographer from uh, what is now called British Columbia uh, and what's now called Canada. Uh, He directed Portraits uh, from Fire, which is nominated for Best Film Director, Actor, and Supporting Actor in the Film Festival. Welcome to the show, Trevor. 
Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, this film is really deeply of a place. And I've heard you speak beautifully um, in, in videos about the way that your tribe's name actually describes not just sort of a people, but a place and a relationship between people and place. And I thought maybe we could start this by um, you just kind of describing the, the name of the tribe and how it, um, what it means for you. So, Tsailkotin means people of the glacial rock river. And that comes from a word called Tsailkols, which means the mixing of the waters. So, in our territory, we have a sacred lake called Tsailkols, which is Chilko Lake. And in that glacier fed lake, this huge, beautiful blue 80 kilometer glacier fed lake, wow. we have multiple glacial streams that are coming in from the glaciers and they mix with the water. So you have these beautiful colors coming together. And so that's where our, our name comes from is, is the mixing of the waters. And so people from the glacial rock river or people from where the water mixes. Mm. And you know, this, this, in this film, there are just so many beautiful shots, both of the, the, that, that beautiful natural landscape um, as well as kind of how the people live on it and in it and and see it. Like it almost feels like that place really is a, a character also in this film. Yeah, that's something that we really tried to get with Portraits from a Fire. It was obvious to us that, you know, a lot of our life and livelihoods take place out on the land. So why wouldn't we be, you know, filming outside on the land and telling the stories of the people who are living there? And so that's something that, you know, was was kind of, yeah, just had to be done. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about the plot of the film. Um, we have Tyler, a 16-year-old young filmmaker who's got basically his computer, what looks like maybe a Super 8 uh, video camera, um, and he spends a lot of time um, with his grandfather. And we have a just a cut from it, shortcut that we're going to hear uh, now. What the next uh, blockbuster film? But I don't know. I don't think anybody wants to watch them. Huh? Saw a guy pissing in the back, Sammy. Probably a dog. There's like another reason why they go there. It's like, like they feel sorry for me. I, I don't know. I could be crazy. It keep you busy. It's better than what keep me busy. Do that, Sammy. Do that. Plus, keeping busy is a smart thing to do. Keep you from thinking too much. So tell us, uh, tell us about Tyler. So Tyler is a DIY filmmaker living on the res. You know, he's just making movies because he loves it. And, you know, he wants and he has big dreams. He's got big dreams to, you know, to premiere his films in, in big film festivals as a lot of young filmmakers do. And so he's somebody who then uh, begins to discover a family secret and his character is along for the ride in experiencing the death and rebirth process of, of experiencing the truth and mm. the truth of his family's history. Yeah. I mean, it's Tyler, you just got to ask when you've got a filmmaker character, uh, is Tyler sort of an autobiographical echo of who you were at that time? Of course, of course, because, you know, that's the more 
the more we look into telling our story of the truth, then the more relatable we can be. And that's, you know, I'm just trying to explore my truth as a Tychotin, as a filmmaker, and as a youth at one point. And so that's who Tyler is. Yeah. Did you have one of those uh, crappy video cameras that you took around all the time with the little tapes and making sure that you, you know, caught things you thought were beautiful and filming yourself? Yeah, I had a little tiny little camera and it was actually my mom's old camera and I would just film whether it's trampoline videos, whether it's the the land outside, but it was just anything that could record anything. You know, I, I experimented with it. I tried it out and I thought they were really cool. And then so that just that just I just continued with that until I got into the big boys, the big cameras. <laughs> I also heard that you got your start doing uh, machinima, right? So like cutting together video game uh, footage into new films. Yeah, that's right. In the video game called Halo. And this was something that I grew up playing video games. And I was super interested in the machinima or the montages where people you know, would showcase their skills in the video games, which led to then at 17 being sponsored by Red Bull Gaming and, and being flown to Dallas, Texas to to film some MLG gamers, some major league gamers. And I was just amazed that these these people who were getting million dollar contracts to play video games as 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 a seventeen year old boy who loved video games, I was like, Whoa, I'm right here in the NBA NH, NHL version of video games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I want to know a little more about the actors uh, in this film. I mean, are these actors by trade, or did you recruit them from the the community, your community? Play, where where did like a character like Sammy, the grandfather, who you you heard in the clip, you know, that and really remarkable, um, sweet heart in this film? Uh, is that an actor, or is that someone from the community, or both? We had a combination of experienced actors and non-experienced actors um, all the way from the spectrum of 25 years experience of acting all the way to the first ever acting gig. And so that was something that was really cool with the film was working with non-actors from my community of Tledding Co, of people who I have known growing up, which was people like Sammy Stump. Melanie Bobby, the two grand uh, grandparent characters mm-hmm. of Tyler, whether that's Tyler, who's a young boy from our nation, Taiko Teen Nation, who's is his first time acting in a movie. And then we had wow. Steve Kustashin, who's kind of who is experienced actor, Nathaniel Arcan. So we had just a whole spectrum of experience, which was amazing that we all got to we all got to uh, Um, play make-believe together and it was super fun yeah we've been talking about the film showing at the american indian film festival with jennifer varincheck whose film in our hands is showing and we've had trevor mack uh award-winning filmmaker whose film portraits from a fire uh has been nominated for a bunch of awards we'd like to welcome uh landon dakesterhouse an award-winning documentary filmmaker and uh, whose film Warrior Spirit was nominated for Best Documentary. Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And also big thank you to my tia and the American Indian Film Festival for selecting Warrior Spirit as yeah. one of the documentaries they'll be programming. 
So, I mean, this is a really tough story, narratively, emotionally. Um, we start off at really high point for a UFC fighter named uh, Nico Montagna, and then go through, through some really hard times with her. So t- tell me about when you decided to make this film. Sure. Um, Nico Montano had, was, uh, had done her training camp in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is uh, where we were from. And also our um, backers for the film, Jason Bowles and Nancy Murphy Bowles, were also from the area. So we had, um, Nico was the only UFC champion in the state of New Mexico. And uh, if you're familiar with Albuquerque, New Mexico, it has a rich fight history. Mm-hmm. Um, the fighters in Albuquerque are really the professional athletes. So you hear about everything. And um, our first film was a uh, documentary on what was then the number one mixed martial arts gym in the world, uh, Greg Jackson's gym. And it, it was called The Proving Grounds. So we, we were in the industry and knew about Nico. And so uh, Nico's story is, is really incredible because um, she, being from the Lukachukai Reservation in Arizona, you, you don't hear about many people making it out on a national platform as far as being a professional athlete or celebrity or, you know, maybe yeah. even like a musician. And she did that um, coming from very limited means and resources. So her story was a story um, that needed to be amplified and told because um, she she uses her platform to uh, create a positive role model and, um, and, yeah, and, and get some your, points across. Yeah, we're going to talk mm-hmm. more about sure. her and hear a cut from the show after the break. We're talking with Landon Dakesterhouse, Trevor Mack, and Jennifer Baranchik, filmmakers with films showing at the American Indian Film Festival, which opens tomorrow. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the American Indian Film Festival and the representation of Native Americans on film with three directors who are showing 
uh, work at the festival, which begins tomorrow. We're joined by Jennifer Varenchik. Uh, her film, In Our Hand, is nominated for Best Live Short in the 2021 Festival. Trevor Mack, filmmaker, writer, photographer who directed Portraits uh, from a Fire, which is nominated for Best Film, Director, Actor, and Supporting Actor. And Landon uh, Dakesterhouse, uh, also filmmaker, founder of the independent documentary film company D House Entertainment. Uh, and he directed Warrior Spirit, which is nominated for Best Documentary. And we really would like to hear from you. What Native American stories have you not seen represented? on screen, and what do you think about the lack of representation of Native people in this uh, industry? How has it affected the way that we see uh, Indigenous cultures? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions uh, to forum at KQED. Org. Um, returning back to you, Landon, um, I wanted to uh, get a clip just so people could hear um, Nico. Here she is talking about how she ended up uh, pursuing uh, mixed martial arts along with her uh, then partner. There was one point where he was a fighter and I was not. And I was like, I'm never going to fight because that's just like the dumbest thing ever. Who wants to get punched in the head for a living? Like there was no convincing me. And he did. He convinced me through his passion, through his love of the sport. So I saw, I got to see how fun it was and how much I can, like, promote my own, like, confidence through the sport. So it's, it's helped me a lot. Growing up the way I did and seeing what, you know, I had to stay with my aunt, I had to stay with my grandma um, because my mom was a single parent, so she was always working. So I want everything to just be secure because I know how it is to live without that secure. And I I am finding, though, that I'm not made out of steel. <laughs> Every camp I go, go into, I come out, like, physically more exhausted and broken on the other side. Oof. I mean, this really is the story of that, right? I mean, when we, when we open, she's sort of at the top of, of her UFC career. She's just one... Uh, reality show and is now the 125 pound UFC champion, right? Um, and you know, as we as we go through this, what did you see as kind of the heart of this story? Like, what is the journey that you feel like Nico was on? Sure, um, her her story was a, a bit like a modern day Rocky story in a way. She she's the underdog. Um, she, she's fighting for her community, for her people. She's a warrior. Um, and, and then the story takes a left turn when the UFC matches her up uh, prematurely against a, a, a Russian fighter named Valentina Shevchenko, who is basically like the female version of Drago. If you remember Drago from Rocky, you know, the guy who's like a machine, you know, been fighting for 20 years, unstoppable. She's supposed to be one of the best pound-for-pound pound fighters in the whole sport. Yeah, she's been doing mixed martial arts her whole life, you know, um, you know, like a Russian assassin, so to speak. And, and so Nico, being the warrior she is, she wasn't uh, afraid of the matchup, but like you mentioned, she's coming off the UFC reality show where she had fought four or five times and cut weight several times. And uh, if you're familiar 
the, the process of weight cutting in mixed martial arts is archaic and it's downright dangerous. So the, she was willing to take the fight, but, um, you know, under the guidance of the UFC Performance Institute and their nutritionist, Clint Wattenberg, um, she was advised to push the fight back, which is what they requested. And unfortunately, with, uh, you know, Dana White and the matchmakers at the UFC, they, they put her on her pay-per-view um, to defend that title before she was ready. And um, what transpires in the film is, is what you see is her risking her life to make championship weight to, to fight Valentina. And um, did you see this as a bit of an investigatory documentary, just sort of about the nature of the UFC? Sure. I mean, it, it's 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 a story about, you know, the commodification of an industry and who pays the price for that. The exploitations of the exploitation of millions of dollars exploiting fighters. But that that is a microcosm story to the macro story of what's happened in our country, in our society with how Native Americans have been exploited and how promises have been made and not kept, you know, in Nico's case alone. Um, she, it was the first time she ever missed weight and she was stripped of her UFC title. Why was she stripped when there were other fighters who had missed weight mm -hmm. the same way she did as a UFC champion and their belt wasn't taken? Hmm. Why was she sent co-pays on insurance bills after near, nearly dying under the guidance of the UFC to make the weight. There's some serious red flags there. And, yeah. and you know, they had opportunities to schedule the fight later. And, and they say it in the film with the UFC nutritionist. That was shot down. So was the narrative to make, you know, the face of the 125-pound division uh, white female with blonde eyes, you know, uh, blonde hair and blue eyes was that was that better for their brand than having the Native American representative as the champion? There's a lot of questions there, and hopefully the film can provoke some conversation around that, and as well as the safety and uh, guidelines around the sport. So yeah, there's a lot of issues, a lot of layers. Before we uh, go to some callers, um, I just wanted to ask you: is, is Nico okay now? Like, I think coming out of that film you've really gone through a lot with her and I, I just hope she's okay. Yeah. She, um, she did, you know, manage to survive what happened in the film. Um, and it, it really took a toll on her long-term health though, because mm -hmm. what happens with your metabolic system is when you stack extreme weight cuts that many times in a row without letting your metabolic system recover, it can do long-term damage. Mm -hmm. And so, um, with that, you know, her, her metabolic system is shot. And unfortunately the life of a mixed martial arts fighter is not as glorious as it seems to, uh, most people in the public sphere, because, you know, what you walk away with is potentially CTE, you know, um, metabolic issues, injuries, and of course, not much to show as far as pay and uh, benefits after you've you've been a fighter and a champion. You know, yeah. Nico doesn't have much to show after making a remarkable run and making lots of money for the UFC because the fighters aren't unionized and they don't have any protection. So yeah. it's it's a bit of a tragedy. 
We've been talking about some of the films at the American Indian Film Festival and the representation of Native Americans on film with Landon Dykstrahouse, a filmmaker who directed Warrior Spirit, which is nominated for Best Documentary. Trevor Mack, a filmmaker, writer, photographer who directed Portraits from a Fire, which is nominated for a bunch of awards um, in the film festival. And Jennifer Varencheck, who directed the film In Our Hands, nominated for Best Live Short uh, this year. And if you do have questions for Maitia Zavala, executive director uh, of the American Indian Film Institute, I think we also still have her on the line. Um, let's go to Carrie from San Jose. Hi, thank you so much. And just thank you to um, those of you filmmakers for all your work. Um, I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and I just wanted to say when I think about um, representation of Natives in film and on television, um, one of the things that I think about is um, skin color and the fact that in the Native community, there are Black Natives, there are White Natives, and every shade in between. And I think sometimes... um, Natives aren't always shown in all of those shades, and that can lead to the experiences that many of us have had in different ways in our life of meeting people and having them say, oh, well, you don't look Native. Hmm. Um, And I think I'm not sure what the right way to go about changing that is, but I think it's a conversation worth having. That is a great point. Jennifer Varencheck, you know, I know you're uh, here in the Bay Area in which there were a lot of Native Americans who were relocated uh, here and who ended up kind of in urban populations with all kinds of different uh, races and ethnicities. Um, What's your experience been both of that as a person, but also maybe trying to think about how to represent that in your work. I think that's a really important um, thought that we need to, you know, talk about a little bit more because um, myself, I have dark skin and dark hair. And I, um, when I say that I'm native, um, a lot of people, you know, yeah, you, you look like it. Um, Or even, I don't even have to say it. Some people just ask. But I do know that there is, um, you know, there are, that we come in all different colors, all different shades, all different backgrounds. And I have friends that have gone through the whole, you know, you don't look native. Um, and I and I think that's because we have so little representation that people have a stereotype in their mind of what we're supposed to look like. And that's because... We just haven't been able to see, you know, the reality of of who we are as a people. And so for myself growing up, I grew up in uh, Danville, California, which is in the East Bay. Um, And I grew up in a, a beautiful, safe, loving home. However, I was amongst, you know, I was dark skin and most of my friends, they weren't. They all had light skin and, um, you know, they I definitely knew that I was not, um, I was, you know, one of these things doesn't belong type of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I carried that with me throughout my childhood. Um, And it wasn't until I grew up and moved to um, Los Angeles and started getting involved with the Native American community there that I truly felt like, oh, this is what it's like. 
and remembering watching on television, um, I didn't see myself. And I really didn't think that that was a big deal until I got older and looked back on it and realized like what that meant. And just, you talked about um, the television show Reservation Dogs. You know, I can now say that I lived long enough to see Native youth dress up on Halloween as Native American characters on a Native American television show. And that's a big deal. So we need to continue to encourage people to go into filmmaking and to go into television so that we can have a more accurate representation. So we don't have those kind of comments. So, well, you don't look Native. That's just because people only have one image in their mind and it's, it's very inaccurate and we need to diversify that. Yeah. Trevor Mack, do you think things are different in Canada with First Nations people and also just as we've kind of seen the greater availability of kind of arts funding up there? Yes, or not. of course. Maybe it's the same. Yeah. I, I think not only not only is there 300 million less people, which gives um, everything into a bit more of a perspective, you know, 36 million in Canada rather than 360 million in in America. Um, yeah, that there is there is more there is more um, support for indigenous uh, filmmaking stories and filmmaking um, like funding. Like for my film, Portraits from a Fire, just released countrywide uh, on November 1st in Canada, and so that's something that we're really grateful for. That that we're able to have a pretty low budget indigenous film play across the country in movie theaters. And, and, you know, that's something that I'm super grateful for that there's, there's enough interest and enough of our own people going to and, mm-hmm. and going to the, the movie theaters. And that's something that, you know, we're hoping to do a Canadian uh, indigenous community tour hopefully one day to bring it to the communities. And, and, you know, that's something that I'm super focused on is, is our, you know, is our own people's energy to our own stories. Yeah. You know, Trevor, just because there's screenings in the film where the young filmmaker is imagining going before the audience have to say, you've got to make a short documentary about showing those scenes, you yourself going into an indigenous communities. Uh, and, I mean, that's a great idea. That's what we yeah. actually had in, in one of our community, Tzai community screenings. We premiered, the world premiere was in a dilapidated hockey rink on the res, and it was so meta, and it was just so perfect that it was, it was just beautiful, and that would that would be a good documentary to do that. Oh, man. Um, Couple uh, comments from listeners. One listener writes, I have enjoyed watching Beyond Recognition about the Ohlone people working against gentrification and development of their sacred lands right here in the Bay Area, which made me realize the importance of paying land taxes to our local indigenous tribes. I've also loved the recent TV show Reservation Dogs, which is heartfelt and funny while exposing the ripple effects of colonization and intergenerational trauma on Native youth. Rebecca writes, thoroughly enjoyed the documentary film Rumble, shown by Independent Lens. Most people are probably unaware of the significant influence Native Americans have had on music from blues, jazz, folk, rock to rap. 
Um, wanted to bring in one last caller, uh, Elizabeth from Albany. Um, welcome to the show. Um, hi. I went to a school in Arizona that spent two weeks on the Navajo Reservation every year. And I remember uh, my we had sort of a wild leader. He wanted us to see as many different things as we could. And one night we were woken up at like four in the morning and told to be very quiet. We were going to see a, a go to a place where a boy was sick, and um, we went and we were, you know, and we were told not to talk and not to say a thing and be very quiet. And I was sitting next to an Indian woman, and she noticed I was cold. It was like five in the morning, and. I was praying for the kid inside the tent, and she just reached over and put her blanket around me. I have never forgotten that. She was so sweet. And And I have always loved Elizabeth, that you've gone to this film festival for years? Ever since um, the 12th one. And I missed one film festival, but once I had three weeks vacation, I would just take a week off and go to it. Wow. Uh, because I loved everything I could see. Uh, they were all some very amateurish, but just heart, heartfelt. And I loved them. Well, thank you for that. And if you do want to go this year, of course, it's not in person, but it will be at AIFISF.com. We've been talking about the American Indian Film Festival and the representation of Native Americans on film. The festival this year runs online from November 5th to the 13th. You can watch the films um, at that website, AIFISF.com. We've been joined by Maitia Savala, Executive Director of the American Indian Film Institute, Jennifer Varenchik, who directed In Our Hands, Trevor Mack, who directed Portraits from a Fire, and Landon Dykstrahouse, who directed Warrior Spirit. Thanks so much for joining us uh, on Forum. Stay tuned for another Hour Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.